0: good morning praise the Lord everybody it's good to
1: have you uh, with us here through technology Uh, the weather here in Ohio is pretty bad still snowing right now Uh, from what I've seen thus far looks to be about six or more inches of snow on the ground and uh, it's still coming down and we're thankful to the Lord for the ability to reach out to you through these means um, we had been trying to get back to the physical church house uh, to deliver God's Word to you. But with today's uh, weather conditions, we thought it prudent to just address you here from the home. So we thank God again once and, uh, once again for each and every one of you. We're excited about what God uh, has for us to unpack. It, it, there's an enormous a lot that I'm going to try to uh, give you today. Um, I often write down my sermons um really more to keep me in track and keep me uh, focused so I have a you know predetermined amount of time that I like to spend with you without wearing the patience so to speak so I'm gonna do the best I can to get this all out to you today if not then just know that we will um, you know address whatever I wasn't able to get through uh, today at another time but again I thank you uh, for joining with us and I'm just excited about what God has given me. I've been up since uh, very, very early this morning uh, wrestling with the Lord uh, in His Word and really uh, getting some things uh, in line concerning our identity. Still in this vein, uh, speaking from this series, my true self, understanding who I am in Christ and who Christ is in me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you would uh, turn with me in the word of God, I'm gonna come from the topic today or the subtopic today, I am overcoming in 2021. Uh, Turn with me in the Bible to the first book of John, the fifth chapter, the first through the sixth verse. I know sometimes it gets a little confusing in the Bible when you have several books that have the same name. First uh, John would be, uh, the easiest way to find it is to go all the way to Revelations. That's the last book in the Bible, and then hit a hard left, and you'll uh, be able to find it. It's the books just before uh, Revelation. You want to go to First John, the fifth chapter. I'm going to read for you hearing the first through the sixth verse. The word reads, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And every one that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. But whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. Over the last several weeks, we've been talking about our true identity in Christ. We've studied this so that we may lay a foundation in ourselves that allows us to live in that very identity. I want to remind you of two particularly important foundational truths that we've been harping on and kind of basing uh, this series on as related to our identity in Christ. The first thing is found in 1 John 4 and 17. Uh, Because as he is, so are we in this world. This is foundational to functioning in this life, in the reality of who you are in him. The power to be who we are now does not come from us, but rather who we are in Christ. This leads to the second point, the power of choice. Uh, This six-letter word which is attached to everything we do in life, but it has been improperly presented as an inability to do the very thing it demands that we do. Choice is about being purposeful in our decision-making process. All things we do, both conscious and subconscious, derive from choices we have made, whether they be spiritually, naturally, or mentally directed. These two truths are paramount to our understanding of what we're going to talk about today, the power to overcome, because overcoming is connected to our identity, and our identity determines which choices you will be empowered to make. It's it's amazing how God connects these things. The question I will begin with today is this, how do you see yourself? Do you identify as an overcomer? Or do you see yourself as just simply holding on until Jesus gets here? There are a lot of people who talk about being overcomers, but when you examine their private lives, you find that they are not overcomers. They are, in fact, overcome. They sing songs and make a lot of noise about overcoming and living the victorious life, but in fact are only living a life as a victim. Before I go further, let me say this. An overcoming Christian is not a super Christian. An overcoming Christian is not, or is a normal Christian. The Christian who is not overcoming is living a subnormal Christian life and living below his or her potential and right as a believer. It's God's plan. You have to understand this. It is God's very blueprint for you today and for the rest of your life that you live not in a state of being overcome, but that you live as an overcomer. When I greet you in the street or when we get back to the physical church building and ask you how are things going, your response should be, I'm overcoming. I'm living a life of victory, a life filled with overcoming. Let me get to the text and point out three remarkable uh, but simple facts. And yet these simple facts have tremendous importance for us as we are going to live this life now and as we live it day by day. Let me assure you what I am teaching you is as much for me in leadership as it is for each of you under the sound of my voice. As we continue to face this new year and new decade, there are three things I would lay on your heart so that you can walk in full knowledge of your true identity in Christ. The first you are going to encounter opposition. You're going to face trials and tribulations that will at times test the very core of your faith. Some of you might testify that 2020 was a whole entire year dedicated to trials and tribulations that have tested your faith. And some of you thought that when the bell uh, struck 12 and the ball dropped, Uh, On New Year's Eve to New Year's Day and the uh, year 2021 began that somehow, miraculously, things were all of a sudden going to change. Only to find about a month, 31 days into it, we're still dealing with some of the very same problems, some of the very same trouble that we were dealing with in 2020. I know that there are people who call themselves prophets and ministers of the gospel and they're running around declaring and preaching things like, 2021 will be the year of restoration and the year of great peace and the year of great abundance, and uh, it's going to be filled with blessings and so on. But if I recall, some of these very same people were saying in 2020 that it was the year that we would have excellent vision. Yeah, we saw very well. We saw very well the problems that come when you're living misdirected, when you're being taught things that are not functional things that won't allow you to function in who you truly are in Christ. These people in fact manifest what's written in the second book of Timothy, the fourth chapter and the third verse for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. I'm not going to say much more on that. Let's look back in verse 4 of our text. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. I want you to underscore that phrase, the world, because that is your opposition. That is what you are facing. I would not have you ignorant as some people would. You have an enemy out there, and that enemy is called the world. For too many of us, we are sleeping with our enemy and we have been led to believe that it's all right if we do not uh, do it too far or we only do it to a certain degree. Understand this, God wants you to have opposition. That's the first thing you need to get in your mind. God wants you to have opposition. Some of us believe that when we come to the knowledge of God that somehow God's desire is to remove you from all opposition. And that's not biblically correct. God has in fact engineered your life so that you would have opposition. God could kill the devil and eradicate the world system if he wanted to, but he's chosen not to take that path now. You might wonder why or maybe even pray he would do away with every one of your enemies. But if you do not have opposition, you will never know victory Uh, there's a facebook quote for you if you don't have any opposition you'll never know any victory someone ought to drop that right there on that facebook post put it out there if you're watching on facebook throw it in the comments section if you don't have any opposition you'll never know any victory there cannot be any victory unless you have opposition you can't even sing songs i've got the victory with a smile on your face, if there's nothing to have victory over. God allows you to have opposition so that you might know real victory. But a fact of this current temporal life, you have to stop thinking it's somehow not true or an indicator of something wrong in your life, is that hardship and problems, trials and tribulations, and opposition will come. This opposition is not some sporting event where we get to shake hands and give high fives when uh, the game is over. It is grim, it is sinister, and it is playing for keeps. It don't care about you, and it's going to do everything it can to break your back. Now, the Bible speaks in verse 4 of the text that I read to you of the world. Well, what does this mean, the world? When the Bible says the world, it's not talking about terra firma. It's, talking about, it's not talking about the rocks and the trees, the birds and the bees, the hills, the rivers and the valleys and all of that. Those things are the world of nature and God made the world. In fact, in Luke 12 and 27, Jesus said, consider the lilies, how they grow. Jesus is grateful for the world of nature and so am I. It's beautiful. It's God's handiwork and it's a declaration of just how awesome God truly is. Simple enough. It must be the people then in the world. Well, if it's not the world of nature, the things that we see, it's got to be the people, right? Some of you believe this. But in truth, the people of the world are not your enemy. Your enemy is not the people in this world. Many of you want to believe that they are. This is part of the idea behind race relations in the earth. I hold firm to my belief that there is only one race, humans, on the earth. But some of us have been gifted with some color, which is called melanin. And I assuredly am not one of those that have that gift. Uh, You can see that just by looking at my face. And others are gifted with other beautiful traits that our real enemy uses, in fact, to divide us. Well, what does the Bible say? The Bible says in Ephesians 6 and 12, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. God so loved the people of the world that he gave his only begotten son for every human on this planet. And what God loves, we are to love. So what is this world then that we're not to love? What is this world that we are not uh, to be fooling around with? What is the world that, that we're supposed to overcome? It's the system it is Satan's system. The word that is translated world here is the word cosmos, and it means an order or a system. It is Satan's system. It is the very thing that has allowed racism to thrive. You hear terms like systematic racism, which simply means a system that works to subjugate one while promoting another. While we fight people, our real enemy, The enemy the Bible has been telling us about and telling us is the real culprit simply goes by unchecked, and we continue to live as victims rather than victors. It's something that you have to understand about systems. Every system has order, a way things are to flow. It does not matter what the system is. Order has to be in place for that system to thrive. Chaos is the enemy of every system. While some systems will attempt to use chaos as a means to establish a new order and thereby introduce a new system of control, every system has order and authority to implement their system over the chaos against it. So the Bible says that there is an order that must overcome. There is an order that we, as his people, must overcome. There is a system that we have to overcome. There is a control that we have to rebel against. It is Satan's system. We cannot hold its hand or even flirt with it. We are called to overthrow it. Just go on here into the first book of John, the fifth chapter. Let's fast forward on to verse 19 where it says, And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Do you see that the whole system lieth in wickedness, not some of it, but all of it. The terminology used lieth in wickedness has the idea of being in the bosom of Satan. Satan has a system and it is just lying right there in his bosom. Satan has this world and he is rocking this world in his arms. And remember, the world is referring to the system that is in play. Now we do not have to guess what the world is because the Bible tells us very clearly what the world is or what the system is. Turn back to first John the second chapter and look with me in verse six. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the father but is of the world. Let me take a couple of quick minutes to unpack this briefly uh, with a little bit of detail, but I can't get into this like I really want to. The time just will not permit. But as you look at this text, it's telling us what the world system is. This is what I'm opening your spiritual minds to, and this is what you are going to have to overcome first, the lust of the flesh. I'm telling you more and more and more, you're going to have to say, dear God, give me power to overcome the lust of the flesh. Last night, First Lady and I were watching television and I saw a commercial for another television show that was going to be coming on. And I thought to myself, what on earth is that? Every manner of foolishness now is on television. I could hear the devil trying to entice me to watch just one episode. In fact, He said to me, you are spiritual enough to watch that. I immediately heard in my spirit from the Lord, you have no business watching that. Have some of you ever faced something like that? Now do not
0: act super holy. Don't act like you got it all together. I want to talk to you about this system. This is what we call the lust of the flesh it deals with our passions
1: now i'm not just talking about erotic passions everyone likes to tie lust to only that which is erotic or sexual but it is anything that tells you to pamper the flesh so that you will do something contrary to the will of god that is what we call the lust of the flesh the passage does not stop at just your passions But it goes on to say all that is of the world, the lust of the flesh and then the lust of the eyes. So now what does that mean, the lust of the eyes? Well, this deals with possessions, not passions, but possessions. You know, the eyes just simply see things and they want what they see. Your eyes have an appetite. Have you ever heard the expression, feast your eyes on that? Just as your flesh has an appetite, your eyes have an appetite. Many of us have a desire to acquire and to have things. We even argue the spiritual legality in gaining possessions. Much theological study is devoted to acquiring worldly wealth. Understand the lust of the flesh deals with doing, but the lust of the eyes deals with possessing. Here's another Facebook quote for you to post. Drop it down there in that comment section. Too many seek to possess things, but become possessed by things. Too many seek to possess things, but become possessed by things. Let's go on. Let's look at what he says. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and then he says the pride of life. First is passions. Second is possessions. And third is positions this is the pride of life to be something to be somebody now there's nothing wrong with holy ambition but he's talking here about unholy ambition to try to be first to put yourself ahead of everyone else to somehow be the biggest the greatest the smartest the grandest or whatever this is what motivates so many people Drive the car that's going to make your neighbors envious, all the while never seeing you already are the greatest man or woman in creation when you understand that your identity is wrapped up in Jesus. You cannot get any grander than Christ. Now, Madison Avenue knows how to work all three of these things. These things are not new. They're just as old as they can be, and I'm going to prove it to you. There's nothing new under the sun. When the devil saw Eve in the garden of Eden, he said, eat that fruit. What was that? That's the lust of the flesh. And then he said that the tree was beautiful and good for food. What was that? That's the lust of the eyes. Desire to make one wise. What was that? That's the pride of life. You see, this isn't new. When the Lord Jesus Christ was here on the earth, how did the devil tempt the Lord? He said, turn these stones into bread. What is that? That's the lust of the flesh. Then he said to the Lord Jesus, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world if you'll fall down and worship me. Well, what is that? That's the lust of the eyes. You can have all of this if you just worship me. Then he says, cast yourself down from the temple. Well, what is that? That's the pride of life, to show that you are something, that you are somebody. I'm not going to sugarcoat the Christian journey. You are going to face, and I'm going to face, and we are going to face these three powerful temptations. Hey, First Lady, we will face these over and over and over and over and over and over. Okay, inside joke. It's about commercials. She's laughing. Don't worry. I haven't lost my marbles just yet. But these things deal in the area of passions, in the area of possessions, and in the area of pride. Passions, that is doing. Possessions, that is having. Pride, that is being. Doing, having, being. Guess what? There's another quote for you. But this time, give Facebook a break and open up Twitter. Give Twitter a run this time. Doing, having, being. The devil knows how to get get us to this. All of these are substitutes for what God wants us to have. Because we are supposed to do something. But what is it, is it again that we're supposed to be doing? Oh, yeah, that's right. We're supposed to be doing the will of God. Slipped my mind there for a second. We're supposed to have something. But well, what is that again we're supposed to have? Oh, that's right. We're supposed to have what God wants us to have. And if the devil can get you any other way, he will just simply get you to do good things the wrong way. Now, you're going to be pressured. There's going to be unbelievable pressure caused by this world system. There's going to be unbelievable pressure caused by your own flesh. But let me let you in on a little secret about the world. We have been saved out of this world, but we are still living in this world. We are sent back to the world to witness to the world, and that is the only business that we are supposed to have with the world. We're not to conform to the world because the world or its system deems something right, does not mean that what it says is right is right. Right is only that which we are guided as right by the Holy Scripture. We are not to condemn the world either, we're not to compromise with the world but we are to confront the world and we are to overcome the world with the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now here's where you will uh, meet some tremendous opposition. Do not get the idea that because you're saved, you're not going to have any opposition. As a matter of fact, that is really when your opposition begins. I've said it before, if you have never met the devil, it's because you and the devil have been going in the same direction. But if you turn around and start to live for God, you're going to have a collision course with a system that I call Satan's system and that the Bible calls the system of the world. You have to understand something that's really important. You must understand, number one, that throughout this year and indeed even this afternoon, you're going to encounter powerful opposition. But number two, you have to exercise, which is putting something into action purposeful uh, obedience, personal purposeful obedience. Here's another Twitter quote for you. Powerful opposition is defeated by personal purposeful obedience. Powerful opposition is defeated by personal purposeful obedience. Now, let me tell you what overcoming is. Overcoming is obeying. That's it. Just obeying God. You want to be an overcomer? What is the formula for overcoming? Just obey God. It's that simple. It's not rocket science. It's really just that simple. And I'm going to prove it to you. Begin to read again with me 1 John, the 5th chapter, and take a journey down to the 2nd verse. And it says this, But this we know, that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. What is keeping his commandments? Oh, there we go. We're preaching the law. We're denying grace. I know some of you are thinking this. The truth is that real love is demonstrated in simple obedience. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. His commandments are not grievous, it says. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Do you see it? How he equates keeping the commandments of God with overcoming the world. Do you see that? They're almost synonymous. You keep the commandments of God, you overcome the world. Every trick, every deceit, every lie that the system of this world tells you or uses against you is immediately nullified when you live an open demonstration of the love that you have in Jesus. Now, I'm just about half done, but I want to give you some reasoning before I go today. The number one question of the youth of today is why. So the Bible gives us three reasons for commandment keeping, why you should keep God's commandments. And in these three reasons, you're going to realize that what I'm talking about is not dotting I's and crossing T's and fulfilling some written law somewhere. But it is actually grace lived out loud. First of all, he says, if you love God, you're going to keep his commandments. By this, we know, verse two, that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. Verse three says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. I don't want anyone listening today to say that you love God if you're not keeping his commandments. Truth be told, you're actually telling a bold-faced lie. The Bible declares, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. Jesus said in John 14, verse 15, watch this, If you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus said in John 14, verse 23, If a man love me, he will keep my words. So the number one reason, if you're going to be a commandment keeper, is that you love God. I mean, love loves to please the one it loves. There's another quote for you. Love loves to please the one it loves. Don't tell me you love God. Don't sing songs about, oh, how I love Jesus, if you don't keep his word. You're just lying to me, you're lying to yourself, and you're wasting time because you're playing games with God's affection. All right, now let me give you the second reason. Not only love for God, but love for others. Who? this is where we really get messed up. Look, if you will, in verse 2 again. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. You see? Listen. If you love me, then you're going to obey God. The best thing a dad can do for his children is to obey God. The best thing a husband can do for his wife is to obey God. The best thing a Christian can do for the church is obey God. Because you see, when you disobey God, it hurts me. When I disobey God, it hurts you. The only problems we have in this world today are people who disobey God. Anytime you get hurt by another person somehow that person is disobeying god the failing of this nation is the direct result of this nation failing to obey the voice of god this nation cannot nor will it ever be great again if it does not obey god when i get on an airplane i want that pilot to be an obedient pilot because if he disobeys the laws of aerodynamics the laws of the Federal Aviation Administration, or whatever laws may be in place, there's a possibility that I might get hurt. Now, in my study this morning, even wrestling with some things on yesterday, this is something I did not fully see spiritually or physically. But it became apparent to me as I prayed and talked with God in the wee hours of this morning. And it caused Something that I did yesterday, a lot of unnecessary uneasiness between myself and my wife. I've always said I'd be transparent. I was driving like an idiot, and my wife pointed it out to me. You see, I was not necessarily driving within all the rules which created a risk of harm. In actuality, if I'm going to be truthful with myself, I was tempting fate, as they say. I became frustrated with her when she pointed it out to me. She's really good at catching me when I'm doing something I ain't got no business doing. Of course, I switched the focus back upon her driving instead of focusing on mine. Here's where her spiritual wisdom kicked in. She did not argue with me when she saw my frustration. She did something more powerful. Now listen to me, men. If you ever hear your wife utter these words right here, if, you, if your wife ever opens her mouth and these words come out of her lips, I will just turn this over to God for him to open wisdom in you. Ah, uh, those words right there. You're done. The rest of the ride, she didn't say a word. That was the last thing she said. But I was in an all-out argument with myself. Matter of fact, I was thinking to myself, I'll show her. I'll follow every single rule that there is on the road. I know the majority of them. That'll teach her. She just sat there quietly as I followed every stinking rule that there was. They're not stinking rules. They're good rules. Then I heard from God. As I'm thinking, I'm kind of getting back at her or being a smart aleck with her, God is talking to me and he says, Hey, stupid, this is exactly how you should be driving. Now, if I think about this, if I had obeyed God from the giddy up, I could have avoided the frustration I caused my wife and myself. My wife knows that I love her, but I want her to know that I'm sorry for my idiocy yesterday. If we love others, we ought to obey God. If we love others, we ought to obey God. But let me give you an immensely powerful reason. If you look in verse 3, it says this, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Now watch this. His commandments are not grievous. This is what he declares about those commandments. Do you see that? His commandments are not grievous. Do you know what that means? That means his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not irksome. His commandments are not a problem. Have you ever gotten that idea that somehow his commandments are just a little bit too much? Has the devil ever told you or you heard kind of in your own spirit, oh, it's too hard to keep the commandments of God. Have you ever even started to believe that lie? The Apostle John says this about uh, the commandments, they're not grievous. In other words, if they're not grievous, they're not hard to keep. Don't get the idea that God is some sort of vengeful deity up there sitting up there on the throne saying, now let us see what can I do that will make their lives harder for them. Oh boy, here's a hard commandment. Let's see if they can keep this one. Boy, that will make them squirm like a worm in hot ashes. That's not how God is. That's not the God that we serve. Every time God says, thou shalt not, this is what he's really saying. Don't hurt yourself. Every time God says, thou shalt, this is what he's saying. Help yourself to real, lasting happiness and fulfillment. You see, God's will is not for God's sake, but it is for our sake God does not need anything because he's God. What God is trying to do is help you to live a happy, overcoming, victorious life. And therefore, the will of God is not something that we have to do, but it is something that we get to do. It is a pleasure to do the will of God. His commandments are not grievous. So why keep the commandments of God? Well, keeping the commandments of God is just simply overcoming in action. And why do you do it? Well, if you love God, you will keep his commandments. If you love others, you will keep his commandments. Be good to yourself and keep his commandments. You may be thinking to yourself, all right, that sounds good, but you said you're going to tell me how to become an overcomer, and then you tell me to keep God's commandments. That's the one thing I can't do. That's like, You're going to tell me how to be rich. And the answer is, have a lot of money. I mean, show me. How can I keep God's commandments? The problem is is I don't have what it takes to keep God's commandments. Well, I'm glad somebody thought that because I'm going to show you that you have what it takes to keep the commandments of God. Because this same scripture that, I read, that I've read to you says to you that you can expect powerful opposition, that you have to exercise personal, purposeful obedience, but hear me now, it also declares that we can expect perpetual overcoming. Now begin to read in 1 John 5 verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God, now here we're getting back into the identity, and you have to really catch this. Whatever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. This is he that came by water and by blood. And these scriptures is revealed very three very dynamic ingredients that God has put in your life. They're there, they're deposited in you. That this is part of the treasure that is housed in your earthen vessel, that the excellency of power might be of God and not man, that you would not be able to boast, but God might be able to boast in you. There are three very powerful resources that God has given you so that you can obey so that you can uh, be the overcomer
0: that scripture declares you are. Now watch this. Here they are. Birth, belief, and blood. Okay. Birth, belief, and blood.
1: You know what that is? Yep, you guessed it. Tag that in Facebook. Hit it up in that comment section. Birth, belief, and blood. And I'm going to close this sermon out talking about these three. And then I'm done for the day. Now, let me show you what I mean by that. That is what John is uh, being, the- or, uh, John is uh, being very theological here, but he's not being theological just simply to help you to be a theologian. He's trying to help you to live a victorious life so that you might obey and then enjoy what it is to be an overcomer. So let us see what he's talking about. First of all, Look what he says. For whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. When you're born of God, then you become a partaker, watch this, of the divine nature of God. Now, why is this important? Well, the Bible calls this regeneration. Let's pause there for a second. What is regeneration? Well, regeneration is simply you being regened, regenerated. You see, I have in me right now some genes and some chromosomes. I got those by my natural birth, and I have natural proclivities that came by my natural birth. But when I received Jesus Christ, I got regened, I am now regenerated. I have some new genes, some spiritual chromosomes in me, and I have the nature of God in me recoding my, re- my genome. I have become a partaker of the very divine nature of God, and God has given me supernatural power as a, re- a result of the new genome in my body. Now, you need to understand this, that if you're saved, then you have supernatural power, you cannot or should not ever say, I can't overcome because that's not humility. In fact, it's blasphemy and a declaration of unbelief. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are an overcomer and actually more than an overcomer because he has overcome the world. Now I want to give you a statement and I want you to listen to it. All that the father was to to his son Jesus His son, Jesus Christ, wants to be to us. Let me say that again. All the father was to his son, Jesus Christ, his son, Jesus Christ, wants to be to us. But all that Jesus Christ was to his father, we are to be to Jesus Christ. Now, you have to understand this. All that the Father was to his Son, Jesus Christ, his Son, Jesus Christ, wants to be to us. But all that Jesus Christ was to his Father, we are to be to Jesus Christ. And when we are to Christ, what Christ was to the Father, then the power that the Father put into his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is that same supernatural power that will be flowing in and through us, which is fulfilled in the text. I am now what he is. I've been born again. Now, if you've not been born again, you're not going to overcome the world. The devil's going to say jump and you're going to ask how high. Now, you might think you're free to do what you want when you live in the world, but you're not free to do as you ought until you receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody, absolutely nobody can be an overcomer unless they experience the new birth. There are a lot of people who are born again, but who don't overcome because they don't take what they receive by birth and put it into practice. it's, It's necessary for you to not only understand your identity, to understand the regeneration of your very makeup, your DNA, your nature change. It's nice to understand it, to know it, but it does nothing for you if you don't put it into practice. So that brings me to the next point. Not only by reason of birth, but also by reason of belief. Now look at verse 4. For whosoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Now once you have been born of God and once you have received this nature, then how do you put it into practice? You put it into practice by your faith. By believing, you see, faith becomes a lifestyle for you, for you becoming an overcomer. You do not overcome the world by trying, but you overcome the world by trusting. If you do not understand that, you will never have victory in your life. First, there is the birth that gives you the inherent plausibility because you have received the nature of God, but it is faith now that begins to put this very thing into practice. Now listen to me. Faith is not simply believing that what God says is true. Faith is acting upon that belief because what God said is true. May I say that again? Faith is not simply believing that what God said is true. Faith is taking action upon the very thing that you believe because what you believe is true. Faith is not blindly believing despite evidence. Faith is something else. It is acting, it is obeying despite consequences. Let me say it again, it's not blindly believing in spite of evidence, it is boldly obeying in spite of consequences. Regardless of the consequences, regardless of whether it seems right or wrong to you in your flesh, you say, if God said it, I'll do it. Now, when you begin to have enough faith to say, I'm going to obey God simply by faith, You know the reason why many of us do not obey God? We just do not believe God. You see... God's word declares, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, said the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive, Malachi 3 and 10. Now listen, anybody who would believe that would simply tithe, and anybody who would believe uh, you know, what God's word declares about the windows of heaven opening and blessings being poured out would simply be a tither. The only reason people do not tithe is because they do not believe. It is faith that causes us to believe what the word of God declares by taking action on the very thing we declare we believe. If you're not obeying it, it's because you're not believing it. You say, I know that's what God says, but if I were to do that, something might happen to me. If I were to do that, things might not go my way or I might not get what I want. So you think that you're smarter than God? His word has made it very simple for you to enjoy the riches that he desires to give you. I want to tell you here that there is opposition. There must be obedience. And in order for you to have obedience, God has given you three great resources, your birth, your belief, and the blood. How does your belief help you overcome? Well, you see, what belief does is it makes Jesus real to you. You see, if you look in verse 5 again, who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, I'm not talking about believing abstractly, but when you believe that the Son of God is in you, who is Jesus? Well, he's prophet, he's priest, and he's king. As prophet, he enlightens you. As priest, he intercedes for you. And as king, he clears a way for you. He supplies every one of your need according to his riches and glory. Jesus Christ becomes a bright living reality, not a thought not a theory not an idea but he is a living reality in you and if jesus christ is not a bright living reality to you you will never really enjoy an overcomer's life you know why people love the world well this same book of first john says this if any man love the world the love of the father is not in him who is the love of the father the lord jesus This is my beloved son, he declares. You see, everybody wants to be satisfied. I want to be satisfied. You want to be satisfied. We want to be satisfied. I mean, I want to have all my needs met. Now, if Jesus Christ is not meeting my needs, where am I going to have my needs met? I guess I'm going to the world. But if Jesus Christ is meeting my needs, then I do not have to go to the world to have my needs met. I do not have to go to the world with its prince, the world with its power, the world with its pressure, the world with its pleasure. I can come to Jesus. You see, if any man loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. It is not that he loves. He does not love the world because he loves the Father, and the Father has satisfied him. You have to turn your focus, turn your eyes, fixate them. On Jesus, Look full into his wonderful visage and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and in the power of his grace. If I had just sat down to a wonderful meal, I mean, I'm talking about a big thing. Thick smoked steak, some of those green beans my wife likes to make and her homemade mashed potatoes, a tall glass of ice water and all of that, and everything is exactly how I like it. And then after I finish, someone comes up to me with a plate of stale crumbs and says, Bishop, here, help yourself. I'll say, no, thank you. I'm already satisfied. When the world comes knocking, I tell the world, I'm sorry you're too late. I've already been satisfied. I'm already filled by jesus i know i'm getting close to the end of this let me let me just hurry along here what i'm trying to say is that if you load up on the lord jesus and if jesus christ is a reality to you then you're not going to be in the back alley eating out of tin cans with the devil's billy goats the only reason that people go for the things of this world is that they have an unsatisfied desire that they think only the world is going to satisfy. I mean, a person who is already satisfied in Jesus does not have an itch the devil can scratch. You need to load up on the Lord Jesus Christ. And if any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, what does faith do? Faith makes Jesus Christ a bright living reality to you. Who is the one that overcomes? the one that believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Now listen to me. Here's the third thing that I I have to give to you. This is the third revelation that God wants me to release. And and this one really thrills me. And I promise after this one, I'm done. I said, first, your birth. I said, secondly, your belief. And thirdly, it's the blood. Now, if you will look again in 1 John, the fifth chapter at verse 6, it says, "And this is He that over that, it, and this is He that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, uh, not by water all only, but also by blood, not by water only, but by water and blood." Now, what the ham sandwich does that mean? Well, He came by water. This is in reference to His natural birth. That speaks of his natural birth. Now, some think it speaks of the water that came out of his side when he was crucified, but that's not the point that's being made now. And I don't have the time to really get into that. So I'm just going to leave that line right there. But just concentrate on the blood, if you will, for a moment. You see, this is what God has given, that you might overcome. God has given you the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You read over there in the book of Revelations, the 12th chapter, the 11th verse, And they overcame him. Who's him? Satan, the prince of this world, the prince, the power of the system of this world. How did they overcome him? By the blood of the lamb. Oh, watch out now. Now, I read this remarkable, remarkably interesting article on hematology. Hematology is the study of blood. And I could hardly lay it down. It got so interesting word after word. It talked about all the processes of life that go on in the bloodstream and how God is given to you in your blood certain proprietary proprieties or propensities that war against every disease or every foreign thing that is not supposed to be in the body. These things are called antibodies. And whenever an invader gets into your body, a microbe gets into your body that would destroy your body, the antibody in your blood makes war against it and causes you to get well. But you know sometimes an invader will come into your body, a disease that you do not have the name, rank, and serial number for inside your body and the time your body gets itself mobilized to release antibodies, to wage war against the disease, it's far too late because you've already died. And that's the reason so many people have died from COVID-19 because we did not know how to immunize against it. People would get the coronavirus and they would just die. The hospitals, the doctors, the, the lab techs nobody could figure out what to do to stave off death. But now we have learned how to immunize against the coronavirus. How do we get there? How do you immunize? Well what you do is you find a person, watch out, who has had a disease and who's overcome that disease. And the person who has overcome that disease has what they call wise blood. That's it. He already has has the name, the rank, and the serial number of the invader that has come inside his body. He has these antibodies on the inside of his body that can fight against this invader. So what they do is they get the blood of somebody who has already overcome this disease. They make a serum out of it and they inject that into somebody else and immunize that person and now that person gets the code he gets that name rank and serial number into his own blood and now he can overcome what uh, that person overcame because now he's gotten wise blood into him and so that blood knows the name rank and serial number of the invader and when that invader comes in that invasion can be uh, overcome by the power of the knowledge that's in the Now let me tell you something, that's just going to bless your socks off this morning. In John the 16th chapter and the 33rd verse, it says, these things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. Watch this, in the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now how did Jesus Christ overcome the world? Well, Jesus took the disease of sin into his own body and he did this willingly. Jesus was not a sinner but he took sin into his own body. He did this for a reason. He went to the cross, and on the cross, he paid the debt of sin. And when he paid the debt of sin, he overcame sin. Hear what Jesus is saying to us. Jesus said, whatever I have overcome, you can overcome. The blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, now flows through his body, the church. Are you listening to me? The blood of Jesus. Jesus Christ, God's son, now flows through his body. What is his body? His body is the church. Well, who is the church? We are the church. That means the blood of Jesus is flowing through your physical and spiritual body. Ah, you've been immunized because the blood of Jesus has the name, rank, and serial number of the invader of of sin that entered your body that you did not know how to fight, God, through the blood of Jesus, has released the antibody in you to stave off the power of death and introduce the power of life. Many of us think that the shed blood uh, has only to do with the uh, with the penalty uh, of, of sin, but the shed blood. Uh, Uh, only deals with the penalty of sin. The shed blood deals with the power of sin. Are you listening to me? The shed blood dealt with the penalty of sin. The shed blood deals with the power of sin. Jesus has a body, and in that body is his blood. You are the blood of Christ. The rich, red, and royal blood of the Lord Jesus is running through your veins, and as it's moving through your veins, it's eradicating everything foreign body. It's moving out of you everything that's not like him. It's cleansing you. You have everything that's necessary for you to live a victorious life. He came that I might have life and live it more abundantly. You have everything that's necessary. You have the birth, you have the belief, and you have the blood. You have been vaccinated against the invasion of sin. It's 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 all yours for the taking, and this is the way that you're going to overcome. That's the way when you first make absolute certain that you've been born again. Second, have faith in God that makes Jesus Christ real to you. Have your satisfaction in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let Jesus be your all in all by faith. And then on the authority of the blood of Jesus
0: Christ, the Bible declares they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, hallelujah hallelujah what's running through you now is empowering you to live free let me sum this up this year you can expect powerful opposition that's the system of the world this
1: year you must express personal obedience but you can practice perpetual overcoming. The word overcometh is a Greek form that means perpetual overcoming. Not that you overcome someday, but that you overcome right now You overcome tomorrow, you overcome the next day, you overcome the next day, you overcome the next day, you overcome every day until Jesus comes, you're going to be an overcomer. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. The blood of Jesus is coursing through my veins, causing me to be an
0: overcomer because the blood carries with it everything for life. And when I understand who I am, I can operate in my identity because not only do I have access, I have authority to use the access that I have.
1: What some of us are lacking is the mentality. I double-dog dare you to begin to live out who you are in Christ Jesus.
0: God bless you. Heaven smile upon you and grant to you great peace. Thank you for spending this time with me.